Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Mark chapter 9. Mark 9. Follow, if you will, in your copies of God's Word while I read the first ten verses of um, Mark chapter 9. Mark 9 at verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that word endures forever. Guys, I, I preached on this event the Transfiguration, not this text, but I preached on this event some two and a half years ago. It was on uh, December the 16th of 07. Um, it was in that series, you might recall, you probably not, but uh, that series called The Star of the Show. I didn't use M M Mark's account of it. I used Luke's at the time because Luke tells this story as does Matthew. And that, by the way, is what we call a parallel passage when uh, more than one account of the same event is included in the New Testament? Well, this particular event, known as the Transfiguration, is, is uh, described by Matthew, by Mark, and by Luke. Um, so what we preacher types try to do is we try to look at all three accounts and gather up the, the unique features of all three and combine them so that you can get a a fuller and, and richer understanding of this very meaningful and unique event known as the Transfiguration, which, by the way, is a bit of a misnomer. The, the term Transfiguration, it's a, it's a bit of a misnomer because Jesus was not changed. He didn't come become something that he hadn't been before. Um, what happens is Jesus takes three of the disciples up on the mountain with him, and they are allowed to see him in a way that they had not been able to see him before. The veil is 
is lifted up. And um, <laughs> whereas, as is so often the case, three disciples are up there. Guess who it is that's doing all the talking? Yeah, it's our boy Peter, um, who is the one that's running his mouth again. Um, but for those few precious minutes, they, they get to see something that they hadn't seen before. They get to see Jesus' true nature. And then Peter gives us this homespun description in terms of bleach, which that was kind of funny. But um, that's, that's the best he could do in terms of trying to understand what, what he was looking at. It's not that Jesus became something that he wasn't. That's not happened. That didn't happen. What happened is the three got to see him in a way that they had never seen him before. Now, before we go too far into this story, let me let me make sure that I um, that I underscore something, guys. This story is not about Peter. It's about Jesus. But we're looking at it, and in this series that we're in on Peter, we're we're looking at it in a different kind of way than I looked at it two and a half years ago. We're using this story to try and explore how it is that Jesus Christ grows up his people. Um, Jesus is transformed, or he's transfigured, but Peter is transformed while watching Jesus be transfigured. And, and that same thing is supposed to happen to us as well. That is, as we watch this event, this, the same thing that takes place in the life of Peter is supposed to take place in our life. As we watch what goes on here, there's supposed to be a, an advance, a development, an, a, a, an expansion of our own souls as we watch th- this event in the life of Jesus. I want to look at the event under two headings. Number one, Peter's, pro- Peter's proposal and then... The real meat of the text is in what I consider to be God's counter-proposal to Peter's proposal. So, let's just look real quickly at Peter's proposal. It, it, it is a bit short-sighted, although it's very sweet. I mean, you would never, you would never find Judas Iscariot asking for something like this. Basically, when, when, well, when Luke tells the story, we're looking at Mark, but when Luke tells this story, he says that Moses and Elijah were about to leave. And so Peter, frantic, uh, wanting this moment to never end, um, you know, h- how does a, a, a good little pious Jewish boy ever quite get over the fact that he just witnessed Moses and Elijah alive? I mean, but while he's, while he's enjoying all this and he sees that they're about to depart, he, he makes a suggestion. The suggestion is, hey, y'all, why don't we just stay up here forever? And, and I'll build a few houses, one for Elijah, one for, you know, uh, Jesus, and, 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 and one for Moses. I mean, you can't blame him for that. I mean, who, who among us doesn't want to keep the, you know, the spiritual high? Uh, you mean, I have to go back down there? I have to go to work on Monday? Can't we just, can't we just stay here? Well, folks, no, you can't. And one of the reasons you can't is because what you're witnessing here in this event is a display of spiritual shallowness. What you're watching is spiritual immaturity um, talking. Because, folks, I hope you understand that God does not primarily grow his people 
up there. But this story is about to tell you how God does grow his people. So stay tuned. So that's Peter's proposal. Look with me now at, at God's counterproposal. It's, that is, God's counterproposal is designed to correct this foolishness that is going on with Peter. There's a few mistakes that Peter makes, and then there's one giant piece of instruction that God leaves behind. Uh, just his mistakes. First of all, um, Peter, uh, you just were made privy. You just um, uh, eavesdropped in on a conversation between Elijah, Jesus, and, and Moses. And they were talking about his departure. The Greek term is exodos. The departure. You know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? His leaving. You know what that is? That's the cross. That is, the conversation that was going on among those three was about his departure, his exodos, his leaving, his his death. And so, Peter, you just heard that. And you've got to understand that that's not going to take place up here. Your refuge is going to be down there. Where that, where that departure takes place. And, and besides that, Peter, um, don't put my son in the same league with Elijah and Moses. Uh, as great as they were, they're not in the same league with my son. Uh, you can let go of both of them, Peter, because it is to my son that both of them pointed. Don't, don't worry about them leaving, but don't let him, my son, out of your sight. All of which, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the meat of the text. At least it's the meat for me. We come now to God's piece of instruction. The, um, the positive. And simply put, it's this. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him, would you? Get off this mountain. Get down there. And for heaven's sakes, listen to him. Guys, that is the key to your whole spiritual life. Listening to him. I speak to you, says God, through my son. Growing up spiritually doesn't take place up here. Growing up spiritually is the simple byproduct of listening to him and listening to him in a way that evokes obedience. I don't grow my people up here. I grow them down there as they listen and follow and obey my son. This is my son. Don't worry about Elijah. Don't worry about Moses. This is my son. Listen to him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, Peter got that. To his ever-loving credit, P- 
Peter got that. He understood that. And I can prove it. I can prove it. You, you, you can keep your finger in Mark 9, but essentially we're done with it. I want you to go with me to one of Peter's letters. One of Peter's epistles. He wrote two, as you may well know. Uh, they're in the back of the New Testament. You've got Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. We're looking at 2 Peter. What I'm trying to show you is this piece of instruction that God gives to the three of them up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter got it. Now, guys, uh, 2 Peter is written probably 30, 40 years after the event. Peter is an old man now, and, and, um, and he writes two letters at the end of his life. And um, of all of the experiences that Peter had with Jesus Christ, of all of the events, of all of the healings and the miracles, he witnessed three resurrections, of all of the events that Peter watched and participated in as he followed Jesus Christ around for three years, the only event that he includes in his letters is this one. The transfiguration. Of all the stuff that he could have drawn from, of all of the stuff that he experienced, the one event that he singles out in his letters is this one, the Mount of Transfiguration. Let me show it to you, because it's pretty clear. I'm not making this up. You'll see it, too. I'm in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. He writes, 2 Peter, chapter 1, 17. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. See it? Very clear reference to the the event of uh, Mark 9. He says, we were with him on the mountain. By the way, let me say it again. Of all the events that he could have chosen to, to allude to, this is the one he alludes to in both of his letters. It's the only one. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the real kicker comes in the next verse. The, the real Oh, I hope you'll listen to it. He says this, verse 19. Now, you see in verse 17, he's just alluded to the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says this in verse 19. And we have something more sure. What he says is, As great as that experience was when I got to see Jesus transfigured up there, as great and as exhilarating and as fun as it was, we now have something better. Something more reliable, something made more sure than that experience. (laughs) Better than that? Why, 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 Peter, 
What could possibly be better than that? I mean, Peter, I have often longed to have one of those experiences like you had. I mean, I would have loved to. I wish I'd have been up there. Oh, oh, oh. yes, sir. I wish I could have seen some of the stuff that you saw. I would have loved to have been up on that mount. And no doubt, it would have been a great thrill. But guys, I want you to notice what Peter says is more reliable, more beneficial than any experience that you've ever had. It's in verse 19. He simply says, and we have something more sure. What could that possibly be, Peter? The prophetic word. All of you who sit there thinking you're disadvantaged because you didn't get to go with them. Oh no, brothers and sisters. No, no, we're far more advantaged. We have something more sure, more reliable, more dependable. And remember, folks, what God said when he was up there, what God said is, go down there and find your refuge in him and what he said. And Peter says, here, we have something that is better. We are in a privileged position. And the nature of that privilege... The prophetic word from the man who experienced it, ladies and gentlemen, he says, there is something far more beneficial to us than some kind of experience. And apparently he took pretty seriously the instruction he was given by the voice of God when he said, Listen to it. With that one stroke, ladies and gentlemen, Peter sets the word of God above all visions, all miracles, all experiences. It is to be the final rule of faith and practice. It is to interpret all of my experiences. My experiences don't interpret this. This interprets all of my experiences. Let all of your opinions be gone. Listen to him. What could be better than being an eyewitness of his glory? His word. You and I get to encounter Jesus Christ in the pages of this book. And then God says, would you listen to him for heaven's sakes? Guys, anything that diminishes, that distracts, that detours you from listening to Jesus Christ from the pages of this book 
must be strenuously opposed and eliminated. And, and, and I'm going to do my best to try and illustrate to you why that is so true. Let me say it again. Anything that diminishes, that detracts, that detours you from listening to him from the pages of this book must be eliminated. They must be strenuously opposed. And, and, and I've got kind of a homespun illustration that I hope will explain why that is true. Here it is. Guys, have you ever seen the television commercials about Plavix? Have you ever seen that? And, uh, you know, they, they, um, they give you an inside look at a vein, a kind of an animated uh, look inside a vein. You've seen that stuff. And, and, and uh, something's floating through the vein, you know, and these little globules or whatever they are. They're floating through the vein, you know, and they're collecting on the sides of the vein wall. And, and you know, if, if too many of those things collect on the side of the vein wall, then um, they produce an event a bad event. I mean, if you, over a lifetime, eat fatty foods and, and all kinds of carbohydrates over a long period of time, you can expect the worst. The globules are going to get you. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I live in a world that is saturated with falsehood. My world inundates me with things that aren't true. I get a steady diet of distortion, of perversion, of falsehood. Ah, there comes that Fox News globule. Ah, yeah, right behind it, there's Larry King Live. Right, another globule just going through the veins of my soul. Oh, there's, there's sex in the city. Yeah, there it goes. It's kind of floating on through there. Oh, looks like it's going to cook. Connect to the sun. Oh, and then, oh, there's this endless stream of inane sitcoms. Two and a half men. How I Met My Mother. Oh, and, oh, and then there's, there's, there's some of that. Oh, oh, oh I see. There's, there's Jack McCafferty. Kind of floating through. And over a lifetime, ladies and gentlemen, what they're trying to do is to tell me what is supposed to make me happy and how I should spend my time and where I should put my money and what my sex life should include and how my marriage should operate. And on and on and on, it sweeps over my life. And over time, that stuff collects in the veins of my soul. And it clogs up 
any chokes off anything that looks like spiritual life. And all of a sudden, wham! An event. A bad event. I have an affair. Or or one of those things that I do in secret that I want no one to know about. It gets exposed. My, my, my pornography problem. And ladies and gentlemen, the only plavix of the soul that exists is the truth of this book. And it gets inside and scrubs and scours the walls of my spiritual veins. It unclogs and prevents all that falsehood from latching hold of my soul and sending me into some kind of lifelong disaster. Guys, the great safeguard of the soul, of my life, is regular, systematic, frequent doses of listening to Jesus Christ from the pages of this book. And my friend, If you neglect this, you get sicker and sicker, and sooner or later, an event, an event that not only rattles every bone of your body, but also your families and your friends and your community. Brought on. Brought on, ladies and gentlemen. By our failure to heed a piece of instruction given by the mouth of God on the top of a mountain which simply goes like this. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Guys, in the normal unfolding of our lives, you and I are around people, very few of whom are telling us what God has to say. And we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. You can almost feel the globules, can't you? Guys, how do we explain our neglect of a very simple 
two, three-word direct piece of instruction from the mouth of God. Listen to him. Sounds like to me that some globules have begun to collect. Guys, I want to close by um, putting to you some questions, some very pointed questions. And some of you are going to wonder why, what is, I mean, what motive? Well, why do you do this? I, um, I hope that like anyone who is concerned about your health, that somebody would ask you this. I mean, um, if your blood pressure is sky high, you're going to face some pretty searching questions from your physician. Ladies and gentlemen, spiritually, we got some clogged veins. And so let me put three questions to you. Number one. Are you under the authority of Scripture? Or do you just like the Bible? I'm not asking you, ladies and gentlemen, do you like the Bible? I'm asking you, are you under the authority of this book? Either you are on the judgment seat or it is. Which is it? Either I sit beneath this book or I sit on top of it. Guys, our culture has pounded into us that the only people who have a right to tell me what is right and wrong is me. And you know what that says, ladies and gentlemen? It says you are on the judgment seat, not this. Does it critique me? Or do I critique it? Are you under the authority of this book? It's a pretty simple question. It only has one of two answers. Second question. Tell me, where are you getting your biblical input, your biblical intake? Where do you get your religious truth? Guys, much of what you hear today is not biblical exposition. It is biblical vandalism. There is a scene in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, where Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, Beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. And those idiots say, Oh, leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. We didn't bring any bread. They think, uh, you know, he's talking about bread. And they said, Well, did you forget the bread? Who forgot the bread? Somebody forgot the bread. And Jesus says, Wait a minute. Did you not just see me? I just fed 4,000 people. Did you not see that there were 12 baskets left over? This ain't about bread. 
It's about the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. Ladies and gentlemen, my point is simply this. The scribes and the Pharisees were the leaders of the religious establishment. And Jesus says, Beware of listening to those guys. I don't care where they got their degree. I don't care what how massive is their following. My friend, let me tell you this. If you choose to listen to that spiritual foolishness, then you can no longer blame false prophets. Third question. Am I willing to hold a different view of Scripture than the one that Jesus does. Folks, Jesus Christ believed every part of it was divinely inspired and binding. The part about marriage. (laughs) No, he didn't see it was a marriage between two people of the same gender. Um, He believed that part about creation. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ was a creationist. He believed that part about Jonah. And I'm suggesting to you that his view has got to be my view. If there was anyone who didn't need it, you would think it would be him. And yet he needed it. When you stabbed Jesus, he bled the Bible. Oh, but Jimmy, I mean, you can't expect me to believe every part of the Bible. Jesus did. Can you afford to have a view of this book that is not the same one that Jesus had of it? I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen, the scripture's absolute authority is a Christological issue. That is, how you relate to this book tells us volumes about what you think of him. By the way, what was the original sin in Genesis 3? Murder? Rape? Prostitution? No. The original sin in Genesis chapter 3, ladies and gentlemen, was rejecting the authority of the Word of God. Can I afford to have a different view of this book than does Jesus Christ? Guys, this is not a magic book. But it is more sure, more reliable, more dependable than any experience that you have ever witnessed, says Peter. And he alludes to an event where he heard from the mouth of God a simple three-word instruction. 
listen to him. Now tell me, brother and sister, how do you explain your neglect of that piece of instruction? say this it is this same book that outlines and declares the beauty of Jesus Christ and all of his saving work that too is in here and if you've never figured out what it means to be a Christian Listen to me. Our Father, forgive us. Forgive us that we, um, we've got a whole lot more going on that is more important than listening to Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will, um, that you will help us correct that before it's too late, before there's an event that we, um, that we find catastrophic. Pray that you will begin to scour the walls of our minds, our veins, so that all that we've listened to for a lifetime won't stick and won't clog and won't destroy us. Would you use us, O oh God, to, um, to point people in a direction of the beauty of the crucified Christ? But first, O oh God, There's a whole lot of work that needs to go on in our own souls. Use your word to direct us, to compel us, and to help us to find all that is right and good and lovely and pure. And then thrust us into fields that are white and to harvest so that we can tell them about this Jesus that we love to listen to. And we love to listen to him because he has died in our place. That he is not simply our king. He is our savior. Use this for that being, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.